Could I ask you to stand one more time, please, as we prepare to open the Word? And as you are, you'll notice in your program um, that the message and the speaker, I am not Bill Wellens, I am Lloyd Shadrach, and we've swapped up a little bit here this week after those were printed, different message as well. Bill will be back here next week with a message on reading the Word, and then two weeks from now we'll pick up uh, God's Word as an errant and um, and I'll be, obviously I'm teaching here this weekend, so just want you to know that, that little bit of an, uh, a mix-up there on the program. We have been reciting uh, two questions from the Shorter Catechism, Westminster Catechism, and it's, it's been to, not, not just, you know, formality, it's, it's been to, to build into us this language and heart that answers the question, why in the world are we here? What are we about? What's the purpose of life? And I don't know there's a better answer than this first question of the Shorter Catechism. And then secondly, because we're in this series on the Word of God, the second question addresses, well, how does that come about? How, how does that, well, it's through the Word. And so as I read the question, I'll invite you now to recite the answer, and I want to encourage you to recite it from the heart. What is the chief end of man? What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Father, we believe this and we thank you that there's a reason we're on the planet and it is to glorify you. And that it is to enjoy you, to be satisfied in you alone. That is so good. Oh, keep us from going to those things that we think will satisfy, but do not. To come to you alone, and we thank you that you have given us your word, which guides, directs, encourages, and exhorts us in this path. May we hear from you today, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, we're right at the halfway point just about with this series, The Word of God, written, living, active. And in this series, we are uh, looking at the Bible and we're saying, what does the Bible say about the Bible? Uh, because we know this, any view of the scripture that's less than the view of the scripture has of itself is inadequate. So, so this is not an apologetic series on the word. We're not seeking out to you know, set down the groundwork to prove that it's the word of God. Although we have touched on the, the foundational uh, biblical principle that holds its authority and sufficiency, and that is the inspiration of the Bible. And you remember Michael talking about inspiration, not it's motivational, it moves you. No, it's not an inspiration. It's that it's God-breathed. And by the way, the last two weekends, Michael uh, picked up first uh, the authority of Scripture, then the sufficiency of Scripture. And if you missed them, I cannot encourage you enough to go and, and watch those uh, on the website uh, because he knocked it out of the park. I'm talking about his wheelhouse in those messages. They're fantastic. But also because they're, they're utterly foundational. I mean, it doesn't make what I, what I say today doesn't make sense. What we've been saying about the Word of God makes no sense apart from those 
uh, pillars and the inspiration of Scripture. So I want you to, to have that. Today we pick up a doctrine of the Scripture that is probably one of the most unfamiliar in many ways, and yet it is so, oh gosh, self-evident. I mean, you go, yeah, it's, it, it's obviously there. It's not some, it's, I think it's something we actually take for granted. Uh, we rarely uh, think about it. I am speaking of, look at the side screens, God's Word is clear. What is the doctrine? It's called the clarity of Scripture. It Originally, as the church formed these thoughts around the Scripture, it was called the perspicuity of Scripture, which if I said that, you'd go, that's not very clear. Well, what does perspicuity mean? But clarity, it's clear. It makes sense. It's understandable. It's knowable. Well, you may think to yourself, Lloyd, okay, next point. We all know that and believe that. Well, I would say we do and we, and we don't. I'm going to ask you to be very honest with this. How many of you, have, if, if, at, at some time in your life, you pick up your Bible, you start reading, I don't know, you start in Genesis, you start somewhere, you start reading your Bible, and you get to those spots, and you're just reading, and you're just going, this makes no sense. This is so hard. This is so unclear. How many of you have, have ever done that? Raise your hand. Everybody look around. Seriously. Raise your hand. Okay. Everybody in the room. Now, I'm going to ask you this and raise your hand on this one too. How many of you have actually got to that place? This makes no sense. It's so unclear. And you put your Bible away and you went for a pretty long period of time and didn't read it. How many have done that? I, I have. And you see, when we do that, you understand we have just denied the doctrine of clarity. Well, I'm going to do my best in these next few moments to be clear and actually to be brief, but clear enough that when I ask you to help me give this message in a moment, you will do it gladly. I'm not going to ask anybody to get up, come up here and speak, but I will tell you this, we're going to end the message and part of the message will be you speaking be you saying, reading the Word. I want you thinking about that even as we work through the message. We're going to think about the clarity of Scripture under three headings. So this is for the outliners. We're going to look at the historical perspective. We're then going to look at the biblical foundation for this doctrine. And then we're going to look at the practical implications. Okay, historical perspective, where's this thing coming from? What's the biblical foundation for it? And then, okay, well, what does this mean? I mean, what are the practical implications? And that's where you will be speaking as much as me. Let's start here, the historical perspective. We have been asking two questions around this series from the, shor the, the Shorter Catechism, which are the questions and answers that actually fl flow from the Westminster Confession of Faith. By the way, you know, the Westminster Confession of Faith, if you're Presbyterian, you're probably more familiar with it, but many streams of the church have taken that document, that whole document, and, and adapted it, tweaked it a little bit, whatever, and it's foundational to, to many denominations and their view of ecclesiology and church and the Christian life. And so I think it's very wise to, to go back to the confession and grab something that falls further down in it, but it's a definition of the clarity of Scripture. It's a little long, and, and I'm going to make it a little briefer, clearer, I hope, but I want you to look on the side screens. We're going to put it up here, and you can follow along as I read it. What does the clarity of Scripture mean? What's a definition? Well, this one has withstood the test of time. It means this. 
All things in Scripture are not alike and plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only, this is key, the learned, but the unlearned in due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. End quote. A bit wordy, but absolutely full and whole in its definition. Put it in our own vernacular, Lloyd. It might be something like this. The Bible is plain enough in enough places that what we need to know can be known by anyone genuinely seeking. Make it, make it a little simpler, Lloyd. The Bible is a plain book. You can know it. That's the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. Let me ask you this question because I'm talking about historical context. Why do you think the church and its history needed to define this, actually needed to say it? You know, this is post-Reformation, by the way, but it's on the tail end of that. Why go back Reformation days? Why, why did they need to articulate, hey, you can read it, interpret it, and apply it. Hey, you can read it. Why did they need to do that? Because in that day, you couldn't do that. But in that day, you see, it was the, the church had to tell you what it said, what it meant, and how to apply it. Roman Catholic Church in that day. And they said, no, the, the individual can read it, interpret it, and, and apply it. So they had to define this and state it. Uh, it was interesting. I, I was listening to uh, one of my favorite uh, theologians, Wayne Grudem. He's teaching on this. And he talked about Luther in his day. So convinced Luther that the Bible was for every man, every woman. So convinced that he... He, he translated it into German. You see, it was in you know, Latin and Greek and Hebrew, and people couldn't even read it. But ones that could, you know, you had to go, the church had to say what, how to interpret it. He said, no, you can read it and interpret it. So he, he translates it into German. And Grudem makes this observation that when he did, that in Germany, they would announce, hey, the Bible is going to be read in German in this church. And he said there was greater exuberance for that than when they said, hey, Columbus discovered a new land. <laughs> hey, Columbus discovered a new land. Hey, the Bible's going to be read in German. Yes! You know, I, I, have any of you seen those YouTube videos, Wycliffe videos? Go see them. Wycliffe videos, when a Bible is being handed to a tribe that's never had it, it'll undo you. It just absolutely undo you. They go crazy because now the words in our tongue and in our language, it's amazing. And we, of course, can I say this? We actually have an unlimited supply, don't we? And in some ways, I hate it because it tends to limit us from truly appreciating what we have. 
Okay, historical perspective, the clarity of Scripture. Three observations, three things I'm going to say under this heading. Uh, and these are borrowed, by the way, from Kevin DeYoung's. I'm going to adapt a few. I'm not doing them all. Kevin DeYoung's excellent book called, um, uh, uh, I forgot the name of it. Yeah, uh, uh, Kevin DeYoung's book called Taking God at His Word. And if you read it, you're going to go, boy, that sounds a lot like the series we did. Well, I borrowed a lot of what he did, the outlines he did for this series that we're doing. It's outstanding. It's a short book, Taking God at His Word. Three things about the clarity of Scripture. First is this. Some things are clearer than others. I mean, that's, what the, that's what the doctrine says. Some things are clearer than others. Clarity does not mean easy. Does not mean easy. I was working on the message this week, and it's so funny to me. I got so tickled. I'm literally like right in the middle of this stuff right here, and I got an email from someone in my uh, community group, and she shot me an email, and I said, do you mind if I read this email? I won't use your name, Emily Sutherland, but I want to read this email. <laughs> and anyway, she didn't get tickled about that. But um, she wrote, and she said this. I, I just laughed. She said, Lloyd, I've been reading through the Bible from the beginning and loving every word until Leviticus. <laughs> How do I make sense of all the laws and rules that God gave Moses? I so get that. And I want you to know, you know, please understand, I'm speaking for myself, but I don't understand everything I read. Like, I, I, I don't. I can be in my devotional readings and I go, I don't get that. That makes, you know, it's not easy, you know. And what does God do? God gives the church teachers you know, who, who can help us understand the more difficult things. Turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Peter. You're going to go to the right, 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verses 14 to 16. Peter's writing about heaven and earth. A new heaven and earth, I'm sorry. And he says this about Paul, and this, this is always a little bit humorous. As, as I read it, you'll see why. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Wrote to you what? He wrote the New Testament letters that they read. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, watch this, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction, please note, Peter does not say, you know, Paul writes some things that are impossible to understand. That's not what he says. They're hard to understand, not impossible to understand. And in no way does that eliminate or diminish the doctrine of the clarity of God's word. And it doesn't keep us either from studying hard as we need to. Clarity does not mean easy. Secondly, what matters most is most clear. What matters most is most clear. What matters most is salvation. Can I tell you what matters most in the Bible? That you come to know God through Jesus Christ, putting your faith, your trust in Christ's life, death, and resurrection on your behalf. That's what matters most. Now, let me expand that, though. We've talked about this before, a little bit of theology here. Salvation, salvation is in three parts. 
When we say the salvation, we're talking not just about that moment in time, you come, boom. You know what? I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried and raised again. I believe he died in my place. I'm trusting you, Jesus, for a right standing with us. In that moment, we are, theological term, justified. We're declared righteous in that moment. Justification. But then from that moment to the rest of our lives, till we die, we are to be sanctified. We are to grow up, to mature in the faith. That's what we say, to, to, to grow into Christ's likeness. That's why you're on the planet. Justified, sanctified, and then one day when he returns, we're dying, you're with him, you'll see him face to face, and you're glorified. You know what? All that growing into Christ is now complete. But keep this in mind, one, two, three. This is all salvation. Let me make it even simpler if I can, not to oversimplify it. What matters most? To be in relationship with God through Christ and to grow in that relationship the rest of your life. That's what matters most. And what matters most is most clear. Anything related to those two things is clear in the scripture. Some things are clearer than others, yes. What matters most is most clear, yes. Thirdly, what can't be known perfectly can be known sufficiently. What, what can't be known perfectly can be known sufficiently. The Bible, men and women, I'm just telling you, this side of heaven, it can't be known perfectly. But it can be known sufficiently. And I hope for some that it just lifts a weight. And I hope for others that it causes you to pump the brakes. What do I mean? Well, some of us come to the Bible. And, and I know you, you could be sitting there thinking, I don't know as much as so-and-so. You know, everybody seems to know more Bible than me. I just can never figure it out. It's never quite, you, you think you got to come to it and know it perfectly. No, you don't. You can't. Just take that off. But you can know it, you can know it sufficiently. And then secondly, I say pump the brakes because here's what I mean by that. Some of us are demanding that the Bible answer questions that it's never going to answer and never was intended to answer. Pump the brakes. Stop. Get off that train. Not, and I'm not saying don't study hard things. You all with me? I'm not saying that are hard things to say. But there are some things that it's not meant to answer this side of heaven. And we need not demand it of the Bible. I want you to think about this. What if you knew all the answers? I, I don't know. You, you know all the mysteries. You know everything. You got it all. Who are you now? I, I think you're God. There's not room for you. We already have God. There is God. There can't be you either. <laughs> Isaiah 55, 8, 9, a great reminder for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thank you, God. That there's more to know than I can know. Thank you, God. But what I need to know, I can know. Thank you, God. The historical perspective is this. Some things are clearer than others. What matters most is most clear. And what cannot be known perfectly can be known sufficiently. How about the biblical foundations? Here's the question. Does the Bible affirm its clarity? Yes. Turn back to the Old Testament to Deuteronomy 6. We'll look at a few verses. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. It's going to be on the, toward the front of your Bible after the book of Numbers. 
Deuteronomy. This is a very familiar passage to many because it's what we read in child dedications. So this will sound familiar. But what's the implication? Listen to the assumption that God and God through Moses is making Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. What's the assumption? What's the assumption that he makes? That the words of God can be known, mom and dad. I mean, there, you, you can know it because you can't teach what you don't know. There's a further assumption that the, the words from God can be known by your children. It's that clear. I'm asking every service to do something today, you know, that encourage you to do maybe. You know, when you go, if you've got kids in the learning center, birth through sixth grade over here, and you go over there and pick them up, I want you to look that teacher in the eye and thank them that they are giving our kids the words of God. I want you to know, I, I know this, Marty and his team, what they're doing over there is not just coloring pictures and running around. They're not doing that. That there's a very intentional thought through biblical curriculum that's appropriate for when they're little and as they progress and they develop some logic that says, here's the story of the Bible. Here's the core components to the gospel that you need Christ to be set. It's all in that content. And I just want to ex- encourage them and thank them for what they're doing with our kids. Every parent in the room knows this. I need someone other than Lisa and me to speak to my kids about that word. And they're doing it and they do it week in and week out. Uh, the Bible absolutely affirms its own clarity. It assumes it. I want you to go to one more passage to the right, Deuteronomy 30. You're going to go to the right to Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 14. It's a longer passage. I'll let you in on something. I'm going to put this passage up on the screen. This is just, you know, you know open, the, open the jacket and say, this is how we work around here. But, you know, when we talked about doing this, I was talking about doing this message this week, and, and, the, and we're in our meetings, you know, worship team, teaching team, and we go, well, do we want to put, do we want to put, the, we want to put the Scripture up on the screens? And we, what ensued was a discussion where we look at each other and we say things like this. Well, you know, when you put, when you put the Scripture up on the screens, people don't think they need to bring their Bibles. Well, yeah, but some people don't have their Bible, so they need to put it on the screen. You know, and we start talking about this. Can I say this to you? Can I? We really want you to bring your Bible. It's not legalistic. I'm not trying to shame anyone. Um, this is the Word of God. This is you know the old sword drills, but it, it's good to have, and I think it's good to have in church. And we will put up here so you can read it. You know, you can't follow along, but, but I think it's very healthy and wise and good to have that Word in front of you as we read these things. Let me encourage you to, to bring that. Again, we'll keep these up for those who don't have a Bible and often, often in a long passage, it's helpful. Follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Moses writes, for this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you. Hey, it's not, it's not too difficult. It's not too hard. Nor is it out of reach. Hey, it's within, it's, you can get it. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us here that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and to make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. The clear assumption in this passage is it's here. It's not away. It's not too far. 
It's here. You can observe it. You see, and he even says you can, you can do it. You can live it. The Bible is clearly accessible. How about the New Testament? When you go to the New Testament, you know, do we see in there this affirmation of the biblical clarity? Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to let Wayne Grudem speak for me on this because he does so, so clearly and for the sake of time, but, but you'll get this. We're asking the question, does the New Testament affirm the clarity of Scripture? He writes, in a day when it's common for people to tell us how hard it is to interpret Scripture rightly, we would do well to remember that not once in the Gospels do we ever hear Jesus saying anything like this. I see how your problem arose. The Scriptures are not very clear on that subject. Think about it. He never does. What does he say? Have you not read? <laughs> Every time. I'm talking to the bright people and to the common people. He just says, I mean, have you not read it? You see, Jesus assumes that. How about Paul when he writes his letters, Galatians, Ephesians? You know, friendly. He writes it to the church. So, so if he was writing a letter to a fellowship, he wouldn't be writing it to the elders and scholars. No, he'd be writing it to you, to us. Why does he write it to everyone? Because everyone can understand it. Hey, everyone can understand what I'm writing to you. In fact, after you've read it, send it out down there to that other place and let them read it. That's how accessible and clear the Bible is. There's the historical perspective. There is the biblical foundation. Finally, the practical implications, and this is where I'm going to ask you to participate. And I do so with great biblical conviction that this is not only reasonable and doable, but it's, it's, it's utterly biblical that we do what we're getting ready to do. I'm asking you to participate because my spiritual health and yours Depends on us living this way. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's not, spiritual growth is not always about the teacher, you know, just speaking over or to you. It's not about me doing that. It's about we individually reading our Bibles and reading and going, that's what he said. That's what it means. This is how I live. And you understanding it, interpret it, and living it. And then we coming together like this. I mean, this is one place, but there are others. We actually come together like this. And you know what we do? One of the things we, we actually tell each other, this is what it says. This is what the word said. This, we speak the word to each other. And that's all I'm gonna ask you to do here in a moment is I'm gonna ask you to, to stand up and read a passage or maybe a passage from memory. Just speak the clear word. But the first thing I'm going to do, we're going to do this in two parts. The first thing I'm going to do is you're going to have to do a little work. I want, you to, I want you to think for a moment. Everybody just kind of put on their thinking cap, you know, and I want you to think for a moment about what has your attention. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. What's got your mind? What, what, what was on your mind before you walked in? It'll be on your mind when you leave. What, what challenge? What life challenge? What hurt? What pain, what struggle of faith, what, you know, put in these, what, what problem, oh, if you just solve that, just, you know, what's, what's got your mind, what, think, think of what's going on in your world right now, I'm talking about right here, what's going on in your world, just think about that for a moment.
Now, because I know I've got a few, I think you have a few. So I'm going to ask you to do this. You know, we're, we're practicing the scripture here, but pick one. Just get one thing in your, just get one thing in your mind's eye, that, that problem, that, that struggle, that thing you need to solve, resolve, fix, whatever. Pick one. Just get that one challenge to faith, to life for you uh, in your mind right now. Just the one. Now, here's what we're going to, you know, I'm, I'm picturing this as mine, so to speak. Now, what we're going to do in these moments is we're going to bring to that this. We're going to bring the clear word of God to that. You are. And so I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles. And I'm going to ask you to turn to a passage, a verse, a promise, maybe a, you know, a promise of God. Maybe, it's, maybe you have it memorized. If you got it memorized, that's fine, totally fine. You got it memorized. But I want you to think of a, a clear promise, a passage, a truth that you would be willing to just take the microphone. I've got guys that are going to come down here, and I got four of them. So it's going to be four microphones in here. So you just slip your hand up, and we're going to hand you the microphone. And I'm going to ask you to simply, you don't have to do anything other than this. Say what passage it is and read it and sit down. Because I want you to read clear passages. No one get up and start reading something and we all go, oh my gosh, what is that? I'm not sure what that means. This is about the clear words. Okay, they don't need any commentary. It's just, this is what he said. And I understand it. It's true. So that's how I want you thinking is... If you're willing to, to stand up and, and, and you'll just read the, read the verse, read the passage, and then, and then sit down. Why are we doing this again? You know what? Because we need, can I say this? There, there's someone sitting near you with an issue that needs to hear this word on that. There's someone in the far side of the room, not even near you, that needs that word. So I want all of us to sit. You can close your eyes, just reflect. But I want you to let the word come to that great challenge in your life. Let's begin. This is from the, the Living Bible. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Mm -hmm. His peace will keep your thoughts and hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. This is Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And second like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. This is out of the 
New American Standard uh, Version. Proverbs 30, verse 5 reads, Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make God the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 40, 28 through 29. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Mm-hmm. Joshua 1.8. <clears throat> this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Mm-hmm. Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jeremiah seventeen seven through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. John sixteen thirty three. This is Jesus talking. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Thank you. This is James 1, 5 through 6. If any of you need wisdom, ask God for it. He will give it to you. He gives freely to every... To ev- Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We lost a, bat- we lost a battery. There yep. you go. Keep going. So. Grab a different one. Grab that one from right there. We'll do you, and then we'll do this one back here, and, I think, and then we'll do this one right here. This will be the last one. Hello? There you go. There we go. All right. Uh, He will give it to you. He gives freely to everyone. He doesn't find fault. But when you ask, you must believe. You must not doubt. People who doubt are like waves of the sea. The wind blows and tosses around them. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks for being patient with that. Back here, and then we'll do this again. Ezekiel 33, 10 through 12. Um, thus you have said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we will rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, 
as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked man turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Mm -hmm. Right here, last one. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, mm -hmm. and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thank you. Now let me remind us what, 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 what we've been learning in this series. You cannot separate the Word of God from the person of God and the work of God. So you see, what, what we just brought to these challenges in life is, listen, these words that were spoken, it's the Word of God. You understand? It's the presence of God and it's the work of God that we bring as we are mindful of His promises and His Word to us. Can I say this? The challenge that we all held here to bring to the, 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 the greatest need you and I have is not that the challenge be solved. It's not that the problem go away. It's that in the midst of the challenge, the word of God remind us that God is with us and he's for us and he's for me and he will bring me through. You see, because what matters most in life? That all my problems go away? No, that I grow in my relationship with God and he's using that very thing to grow my faith. I hate it quite long at times. I just wish it was easier and it's not. But it's not that this would go away. It's that in the midst of it, his word would hold me and I would hold his word. Now, there is a battle that rages. It's happening right now in this room. You know, before there was any sin, while the earth was innocent, pure, Genesis 3, 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And Satan said to the woman, Indeed, has God said? Do you realize that the first attack of the enemy was an attack on the clarity of Scripture? And do you think he's changed his ways? No. And so as we sat here in this room, as I stood there with my challenge... I, I struggle because it's like, it's just one word. Just flip one word. Indeed, has God said? Or is it this? Indeed, God has said. And so as you read those words, that is God has said. But who's whispering in my ear? Has God said? Last service, someone read from James about the devil's a prowl, prowls about like a roaring lion. I said, this, you know, the, the devil's roar is not this. Roar! That's not the devil's roar. Can I hear what the devil's roar is? Indeed, has God said, it's a whisper, and it's devastating. And so we need each other to come to one another and say, indeed, God has said, yes, yes, God has said this, yes. And we bring each other, what, a clear word, a sure word. I need it, you need it, we need it to mature and to grow in our 
faith. Let's stand together. Thank you for reading. Thank you for bringing those words. I've thought of a number of benedictions. I've chosen this one. I referenced it earlier. Let this be a wonderful reminder to you. And may I say it, it's very clear. And indeed, God has said, Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. This is true and reliable This is the word of God. God bless.